The Voices of Search podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything podcast network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. Welcome to the Voices of Search podcast and I Hear Everything production. In this podcast, we'll share the news, knowledge, and strategies you need to navigate the ever-changing world of SEO. Ready to expedite your company's organic growth efforts? Sit back, relax, and get ready for your daily dose of search engine optimization wisdom. Here's today's host of the Voices of Search podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Bridge Toll, California, customer service number. Highway miles to the gallon, Ford Focus. Thailand cave rescue operation. What is schema F? Best wine bars in San Carlos, California. Best Western hotels. How old is Ronaldo? What happened with Big Brother? What's a good engagement? How long before a wedding should I send out many save games the dates? The first series Use IMAP to playoffs. check email on other email clients. Identify fonts from where to find you were Welcome to the Voices of Search podcast. My name is Benjamin Shapiro and I'm the executive producer of the Voices of Search podcast and today we've got a special episode for you which is going to be guest hosted by our friend Tyson Stockton who is the co-founder and educational partner at Previsible which is an SEO consulting and education company that helps support enterprise businesses scale organic search traffic and educate their organizations. And this podcast is also sponsored by Ahrefs. What if I told you that you could monitor your website's SEO health, backlinks, and organic rankings at no costs? Sounds too good to be true? Well, it's not. Because my friends at Ahrefs just launched Ahrefs Webmaster Tools. Ahrefs' new Webmaster Tools product quickly helps you improve your site's visibility by pointing solutions to over 100 technical issues that might be holding your search performance down. Plus, AWT monitors for backlinks so you'll know the most linked-to pages and how those links are affecting your rankings, and AWT shares what keywords your website ranks for and compares how you stack up against competitors for key metrics like search volume, keyword difficulty, and traffic value. Look, monitoring your website used to require multiple expensive tools. And now, thanks to Ahrefs, that's not the case anymore because AWT will help you monitor your SEO health, backlinks, and keywords for free. And no, it's not one of those 14-day free trial offers. It's a powerful site audit tool that will keep working for you for free. So check out Ahrefs Webmaster Tools at ahrefs.com slash A-W-T. That's A-H-R-E-F-S dot com slash A-W-T. All right, here's an episode of the Voices of Search podcast, guest hosted by Tyson Stockton from Previsible. Hey, what's going on? My name's Tyson from Previsible.io. And today we're going to be discussing how to build and manage an enterprise SEO team. Joining me today is Sebastian Egger, who is global SEO lead at Square, which is part of Block Inc. Square helps millions of sellers run their business from securing credit cards to processing point of sale solutions. Square is based in San Francisco, California. The company was founded in 2009 by Jack Dorsey and launched its first platform in 2010. Today, Sebastian and I are going to be going to discuss how to evaluate your current assets and resources, when to use internal versus external resources, skill sets and internal resources to be successful at the enterprise level, and how do you develop SEO talent and managing SEO within an enterprise. 
All right, here's my conversation with Sebastian Egger, Global SEO Lead at Square. See, good to see you. It's been a little overdue to get you on. Yeah, thanks for the invite. Appreciate it. It's been a minute. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Sebastian and I, we, we've worked together in the past, friends outside of this, as well as one of my personal favorite SEOs in the industry. So really been looking forward to this conversation. And I like the topic too, because there's so much variance and difference of operating and managing an SEO program at the enterprise level than what you get when you're a kind of one-man show for a smaller mid-sized business. So really looking forward to the conversation here. Yeah, absolutely. Likewise. With that, so we're going to break this up into two episodes. The first one, we're going to really like hone in on how to build an SEO team. And so this can start with kind of doing the lay of the land, evaluation of teams, that determining what factors or what resources and skill sets you need to be successful. And then how we go about kind of structuring that and bringing on the right talent. So maybe to just kick us off here, how do you go about and how do you think about doing an assessment or like an accurate assessment of current resources or current assets that you may have on hand? Yeah, absolutely. Good place to start. I mean, ultimately, it'll depend on the company size, obviously, number one. And more importantly, where does SEO sit? within that company? Is SEO a product org or is it a marketing core? Because that'll, that will make a difference in terms of who your closest partners will be. For example, if SEO sits on the product side, you're most likely going to be closer to the development team. So in terms of accountability, in terms of initiatives, you will, you will be able to have a lot more buzzword alert, a lot more synergies. <laughs> I had to. And, but for example, if you're on the marketing side, you're probably going to have different meetings. You may not be on the same meetings with the development team, and so that um, that way you might need to put in a little bit, a little bit more efforts. Other than that, size and size and scope really is a key factor of the company and the teams in general, because that will also dictate how you should build your own team and how many points of contacts you will need. So, for example, you may have a pretty big company, but let's just say your product team really is only two people and you want to scale your SEO team to be 10 people, does really having 10 points of contacts to a product team of two make sense? Probably not. You don't want to have too many cooks in the kitchen and you want to make sure you grow at a consistent rate and you don't get to a point of, uh, again, too many cooks in the kitchen and overwhelming that piece. So that really super high level, but it is a very essential part of self-reflection understanding where the future SEO team and the scale of the SEO team should be. Another point I realized I forgot to mention is obviously scale, not just in size, but in, in location. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on, but is your team in just one country? Well, not even just one country, one city. Is it just West Coast or is it just East Coast or is it scattered around the US or is it, is it even international? It doesn't have to be deaf team. It could be marketing team as well, depending on who, you've, who you know your direct point, POC's point of contacts will be, because then you may be missing out on a chance to scale your team according to how the business currently looks like, but also more importantly, how it is looking to grow in the next two to three years. Having that outlook, massively important. Because if you end up growing your team in year one, be like, hey, you know what? Just content managers in the US and then your team, then the company ends up growing around the US and internationally. 
massive gap. Yeah, you hit on a really critical point. And I think with this like evaluation of assets, too often when I talk to other individuals about that, they'll immediately fall back and lean into just like, what are the tasks that need to be completed? So I think being that you honed in on addressing those more of like management, evangelization, and those elements that really surface and become so much more significant at the enterprise level, where you're thinking about locations of offices or of businesses, like teams and point people that they have to be working with in the collaboration, internal or within product org, or working with the product team outside of your org. I think that's like a really critical factor for the determining of like, what assets or what resources you'll need to be successful. Because too often, I feel like we just kind of will default back to being like, oh, hey, we need to execute on these 120 tasks, or we just need to work on these core kind of problems versus that like people, like management side of things. Yeah, absolutely. I guess you can, yeah, you can almost distill it down to a point of like, are you are you task focused, like initiative focused? Are you thinking in like a tactical way versus strategic way? I know we've talked about that piece quite a bit, and especially in consulting, but it's true that at the end of the day, when you're assessing your your asset and resources, if you're way too tactical, you're gonna be missing out on some potential future opportunities. Growth opportunities, like team, team growth opportunities, then if you take a step back and you're really strategic about how how you're validating it and then how you're growing your team. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. So Let's dive a little bit deeper into the the topic of internal versus external resources. And we've both worked on the in-house side, the external side. You're back internal, I'm external at the time. Right. Like, and I don't think there's one answer of just like, and sometimes people will ask, like, what's better? Like, is it better to use a consultant or is it better to hire things? And it's like the shitty, like typical SEO Gosh. response. It depends, is like gets annoying by it. But I think it's like it's a valid question. More often than not, what I see at the enterprise level is a blend of the two. And it seems like that in most cases is going to be like what that percentage blend in will vary. But you're almost always going to see some sort of blend at this level. What like how, how do you think about or how would you recommend that the listeners think about like internal versus external? Yeah, absolutely. Really, really love this question. In this topic in general, before I go into specifics, I think one thing I will say on the external, I mean, there isn't one that's better than the other, even from a career growth perspective. It's working in-house better than working external. Well, there isn't one thing that's better. That's purely depending on yourself. And so you would have to make the decision for you. I really, truly believe there isn't one that's better. I think if you spend your entire career in just in-house, if you've never done consulting, probably you should go consulting. It's a it's fantastic experience. And I'll say the exact same thing about consulting. If you spend your entire career consulting, probably go in-house. It is also, it's a very cool experience. So that's just one way to preface my answer. So on the main part of it, external versus uh, internal, I'll follow kind of your piece where it's like, it will depend on the type of company you work, you work in. Because the benefit of external resources is they're always going to have this well, external third-party view on things. It is critical. And I think that it doesn't go with just SEO. It can it can be anything in life, even in general. It's like having someone that looks at things from a distance, from a different point of view than your own lens. And 
an agency and external resource will always have this view because they're not always just going to be tied to your brand and your, your work. They're going to have a different perspective. So again, another way to preface uh, my answer here. So really two things here to keep in mind. But the, so like I was saying, it, depending on like where you work. So one example is if I look at the, the more e-commerce technical sites or should I say large skill sites, especially the ones that we used to work on together, when we were external, it's it's hard. It's hard to be an external an external contributor and leading and really leading SEO initiatives and SEO work because you're never you're not included or you're never going to be included in all of the internal internal systems, internal processes. It doesn't matter how what type of engagement you have, you're always going to be the external folk. And so for if you're an SEO team lead and you work at one of these these websites that has you know, millions and millions of pages, a lot of big piece of your focus more likely is going to be on the technical side, whether it's scalable internal linking uh, solutions, crawl efficiency, and crawl bandwidth. There, I really would recommend going the in-house way because that way you have someone on your team who is part of the day-to-day work streams, has access to internal systems, and understand all of the granular and nitty-gritty elements that, that, frankly, I hate to say it, but that an external resource is a lot tougher to get to. Is it impossible? Absolutely not. But it is much, much tougher. I know we'll probably talk about skill sets of that in a minute, so I'll leave it out for now. But if you look at a you know a SaaS website, B2B, more almost more marketing-driven website that maybe doesn't have the scale element, I'm hoping that technical isn't going to be your main focus. Obviously, there is always going to be a focus depending on how screwed up the website is, but I'm really hoping that's not that's not the main focus. There, you can have a pretty nice blend of internal and external. The internal piece, again, the benefit is then you can do the stakeholder management, obviously a lot easier. But then having a few external folks, whether that's a single contractor or access to an agency, there's a bit of a difference there too. But you agency can really focus on the tactical, whether it's market research, tactical piece allows you allow them to basically create the recommendations. And then it's your role to create the strategic vision of the SEO program in your company. And then it's for you to work, work with the internal partners, yeah, internal partners to really get this done. So that really is the way I would see it. You know, the e-com, I do think there is a place for external partners. But the focus, if, if in, at least in my experience, the focus really should be build that internal team is going to go a long way. I couldn't agree more on that. Like I said, I think a combination is best. But I think, yeah, if I was to prioritize and it's like, hey, absolute mutually exclusive one or the other, I'd have to go the in-house side too, I think. And I mean, with my area of focus, pre-visible, it's like... That's an area too that I'm just generally passionate about of like the enablement, the education, the expansion of the teams, recruiting, like that side of building out and like empowering internal teams, I think is really key. But even with like the type of clients that we work with from a consulting front is like we're always working in tandem with an SEO team. And it's like we're complementary to that. And at the enterprise level, if you don't have that internal team, the access to data, having building longer term relationships with these people, navigating through the corporate structure, like there's so many advantages to that side. But to your point too, an advantage of having additional kind of offsetting bandwidth with an agency or a consultant 
is you're also bringing in like a fresh perspective. Where I think, especially Absolutely. if you have a really mature team that's been around for a long time with an organization, you start to think more and more within your walls or repeating the same tactics. And sometimes having that fresh perspective, new perspective on things can also invigorate and give kind of like spawn more ideas with your existing team. So I do like also like that kind of combination, but I'd agree like if you got to pick one or prioritize like having that core in-house group and team to then augment and kind of build on top of is, from my opinion, the best. You can also have, I mean, and I know this is something that Previsible is going into, which I actually think is a pretty stellar move, which helping companies recruit for in-house, in-house personnel. I think that's a very interesting piece that I actually don't really hear that often in the SEO industry because instead of thinking almost like too binary, like, is it in-house or agency? Even though like we just talked about at the beginning stages, it makes sense to build in-house, but you can also have an agency help you out with this because the big benefit of, of an agency is the network. That's ultimately what it is, right? Is they have access to a network of folks, of internal SEO specialists, experts at different at different levels, and you should be able to leverage this as much as you can, depending on where you're at in your SEO journey. So even if you're just starting and you're a VP of marketing, and you want to build your SEO team and you don't know what's needed, well, you know that your priorities are great. Let's build this team in-house, but let me leverage an agency to help me with this recruiting. And then that way you can have a flourishing relationship down the line with in-house is prioritized. And then you get the agency that helps out with the more tactical piece. Some strategic things too, why not? But ultimately the way I've worked with agencies so far is it has been really on the tactical and some strategic piece, but really helping, helping the in-house SEO team get things done. Yeah. Ultimately, really get things done. Because ultimately, a big piece of in-house, and even I have forgotten about that because I went in-house consulting and back in-house, is just the amount of stakeholder management, I mean, politics, and just getting things done that at the end of the day, you don't have that much time to do the nitty-gritty research. I remember back in consulting, I used to complain that, oh, in-house people don't get anything done. And now I'm like, all right, fine. I was pretty damn wrong <laughs> because I'm realizing it's like, yeah, there's a lot behind the scenes that goes into that is probably a reason why agencies will, will never not have work just because of the amount of just internal maintenance that in-house folks need to conduct. So ideal scenario is you're, you're building that team that you have a really good relationship you're able to figure out the right division of labor between one and the other. I didn't think something else too that people within the enterprise world are going to be very familiar with this. Others, maybe it sounds a little odd, but one thing that we've both come to see is there is a difference between budget and headcount. And certain companies, they want to limit that number of headcount due to the evaluation, revenue to headcount, like those kind of things. But discretionary or budget spend could be different. And so like we both worked with a lot of teams that sometimes they do want to just hire someone in-house, but it's like because of the budget structure, it's only available for an external spend versus an internal hire. And so I think that's a piece too. And to the point on like the recruiting front, it's a challenge. Like we've both gone through things where it's like you have an internal HR recruiter but being able to assess the talent and being able to actually like evaluate the talent is a very labor, you know, demanding activity. And if you're managing a team, that is something that you may not have time for and your internal partners may not have the experience within the industry to then do that. 
But I think that point also kind of like segues us a little bit into like the skill set needs. And I think within the enterprise level, obviously, it's not just one person owning the entire like SEO activities. But now you have a team. Time for a one minute break to hear from our sponsor, Previsible. So you're looking for SEO help and you got a couple of options. You could start replying to spam from agencies that claim they can get you to rank number one on Google. You can pay an hourly rate for a consultant who will inevitably nickel and dime you with hourly charges. Or you can work with a cookie cutter agency to quickly launch a strategy-less project with low success rate. None of those sound very good, now do they? Well, that's where Previsible's integrated consulting model comes in. Previsible draws from a collective 40 years of SEO and digital marketing experience to unlock your organic growth opportunities. They build custom solutions that combine strategy, technical expertise, content, and reporting to effectively operationalize SEO for your business. Previsible's four-stage approach ensures that your SEO programs thrive by starting off with a strategy-first approach. Then they support you in your efforts to create quality content, help you identify technical issues, and most importantly, they'll work with your cross-functional teams to integrate your SEO strategies to make sure that your SEO budget actually drives results, not just your agency's bottom line. So join brands like Yelp, eBay, Canva, Atlassian, Square, all who rely on the SEO consultants at Previsible. For more information, go to previsible.io. That's previsible, P-R-E-V-I-S-I-B-L-E dot I-O. How do you think about like skill sets within the team, specializations of the team? Like what are you looking for from like a skill set perspective? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, even let's go back to my comment on the e-commerce, like large scalable site, right? It doesn't have be e-commerce, but just a larger, larger side that's technical. There, you probably want to get closer to hiring people who are almost SEO engineers, like an SEO product manager. You know, if, if you're if you're hiring a set of content managers for your large-scale technical site, I'd probably question that decision or un, try to understand that a little bit more. At least in my experience and what we've hired in the past for these types of sites. I mean, it's it's been SEO engineering, basically like really SEO engineering and I think we've been hired, if I remember correctly, a person that used to be an engineer and then that moved into SEO uh, a little bit later on. Yeah. Yeah. And then obviously the SEO product manager role. So that that's something that for these types of sites, that is really what I look after. I mean, that person has to know how to go into Excel. That person has to understand the DOM and how each and every single technical elements work in relation to, to Google's algorithm. If that's not there, I don't see how that person could be successful in a technical role, in a role at a lower scale site. But we're actually thinking almost gets a little bit more interesting is the more like a more marketing specific site because there you can play around with people's skill sets a lot more. And actually, I think it gets kind of fascinating because is your focus going to be technical? Again, hopefully not. Do I think there's a place for a technical person? Yeah, probably. Uh, think of it as like a technical slash operational role. And in smaller size, there's always going to be some some technical issues. And you do want to make sure that there is a point of contact that, that can work directly with developers. Does that person need to have an engineer background? Absolutely not. Hell no. I mean, it's I consider myself a techno ICO. Am I an engineer? Hell no. Have I ever wrote a line of code? Absolutely not. Do I understand it? Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely. But so that sort of balance of of skill set is definitely needed. But then you can also play around with people who have content 
a content background. That's something that is always very interesting. Someone that's probably focused, even someone who, who has a lot of agency experience that wants to go into in-house, that's a great place to start at these types of sites. Another thing to mention too is, again, this is my personal view based on my experience, but not everyone needs to be an SEO expert. So often, I would even say way too often, you read these SEO job descriptions and it's like, must have seven, eight years of experience. I'm like, I'm like, really though? Do they? Probably not. You're maybe saying must have seven, eight years of work experience. That's a different story than seven, eight years of SEO experience. My personal take is if you know there is good leadership, I mean, you need to have good leadership in that team. That's obviously number one. So that comes with the caveat that you have already like an SEO lead or just like someone in charge of the program and you're hiring under there. Okay. So if that's the case, you don't need like a seven, eight years of experience because first of all, you're, you're blocking yourself off from fantastic people that have fantastic hard skills and soft skills as well that may not have eight years of experience, but they're damn, they're damn smart. So really here is it's, well, maybe you're looking for someone who has eight years or total work experience, but they may only have three years of SEO experience. I don't see that problematic, especially if they've worked in digital marketing, that person could be paid, but that could in paid marketing and affiliate marketing. That person could also be a, having, you know, have worked as a content writer. I mean, these days, most content writers are so embedded in SEO processes that indirectly they're always gonna, they're gonna have a little bit of that knowledge. So I think as a good lead, it's, it's your duty to to figure out the right balance. I mean, you and I both know that, you know, we've hired people who were really SEO experts in the past, a lot of experience. They were out there on LinkedIn. They were out there in the conferences and they could answer every question perfectly. SEO related questions. Were they good SEOs? Like seriously, were they good in-house like team members SEO? My gosh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. So I don't get a burden by that. So then it's like you realize that it's like there are so many resources on SEO out there. I mean, the Moss Beginner's Guide is is so well developed, and you have just so much out there, either from Google, from the Webmaster documentation, to all of the SEO experts on LinkedIn and out there that you can soak that up really, really quickly in, in less than a year and really become someone who's knowledgeable. But what I think is most important is figuring out what are the skills that you need beyond SEO. For example, analytics. Someone can know a lot about SEO and not know how to go in Excel. That might be a bit of a problem. Or you can know a lot about SEO and you don't understand the rules of semantic content optimization. That's probably going to be a problem or or even just how, how it works, right? Same thing with creating good presentations, being a good stakeholder manager. So I look for these skills a lot more than SEO knowledge in how I hire and obviously, I want to make sure that people understand the SEO basics, because if they don't, then all right, that does complicate things a little bit. But so this is how I really would would focus on sites that don't have millions and millions of pages out there, just because the scale does contribute to a to level of complexity that does require certain amount and certain levels of experience in SEO and in other areas. Yeah, and kind of what I'm hearing is like uh, the big takeaway or recommendation here is to think of like the skill sets of the internal need and think about it in a broader lens and to not just be thinking about it in like SEO knowledge, but more of like 
based on your industry, based on your organization, what are the core fundamental skill set requirements? So as you mentioned, large websites, let's call it e-commerce aggregators, large publishers, heavy level of technical experience from both the programming development side, understanding how to work with product engineering teams, the analytical ability to analyze and decipher kind of trends, findings, whatever, from large data sets. But then it's like that people side on working with the other partners. And I think that's like something too that We've had a lot of conversations too of like, well, not always likely that you're going to get the absolute perfect person from day one, but you're also kind of hiring or picking someone to join your team by what, where and how they can develop into. So let's say scenario, if you're on, let's say large e-commerce site side, Would you have a preference, and with the assumption here is that there's going to be a deficit of the candidate, would you rather teach someone SEO that comes from a strong technical background, or would you rather teach someone that has a strong SEO background the product and technical side? So it's like you you have to develop that individual one way or another. Is there a side that you would, and maybe this is personal too, of just what you like to develop and teach, but like, would you see any advantage or disadvantage or what would be your preference on like, if you had to develop up one of those sides? That's a fantastic question. I really like that one. My answer has to be, and this may be a little bit controversial, it has to be hiring someone who is more deficient on the SEO side, 100%. The reason why is... So I think SEO itself, like when you look at SEO and a very tunnel vision and a very limited vision of what specifically SEO is, hitting on the SEO elements, do I think that's rocket science? I do not. (laughs) Am I saying it's easy? No, I'm not saying it's easy, but it's something that, again, it goes back to my comment of the amount of documentation and it's well-written documentation too. That's a point that I forgot to mention. It's well-written documentation that I actually think is easy to easy to digest. And that and that's me really praising everyone in the industry who contributes to these documentations. The case studies and everything. It's I really do think the industry has done such a good job at this and allowing people to come in and understanding it in the easiest way possible, that it's made SEO into something that's that's not rocket science. You would have asked me that, I mean, I don't know, you would have asked me that question 10 years ago. I don't know how I would have answered it. Honestly, I, I actually don't know how I would have answered it because the documentation was so different. The industry was so different back then. It was a lot more nebulous. It was just a lot more nebulous. The algorithm updates too were killer, were killer. I mean, it killed so many companies that just SEO, people just didn't know what the heck it was and how to go about it. Today, there is still this nebulousness, but people understand it. But what makes it even more fun is to understand the value of it. So going back to your question, I would hire someone who has that engineering background and needs to be coached on on SEO. And I think that's going to go a lot quicker. That would go a lot quicker, definitely. So me saying that it's not rocket science, is not a plug on the work that we all do. (laughs) It's more, it really is more, again, repeat, I don't want that, that to be taken out of Sebastian Egger. SEO is not rocket science. It's just, it's, it goes, it's praising what the industry has done. Uh, that's what I would say. Well, I think it's, it's also highlighted in being successful at the enterprise level where so much of your success is going to be dependent on your ability to have these other soft skills and being able to 
have those relationships, being able to communicate SEO, sell SEO, like doing all those things are so critical to being successful. And I mean, similarly, like if I was to answer the same thing, but maybe someone that shows really strong soft skills, but still has some deficits from an SEO knowledge base, I would rather hire that individual. One, I think personally, it's easier to teach and train up someone on SEO best practices and SEO knowledge. Whereas like soft skills, like learning aptitude or like communication skills, those are really difficult skills to develop that could take someone 10 years to really like find their own voice and lane on it. So it's like, I I really lean that way. I mean, obviously, I enjoy kind of like (laughs) the education part to begin with. But I think skill set of an SEO, and we've talked about this over the years a lot, like I think one of the most important skill sets is just general learning aptitude. Whether you're closing the gap in one area of where you're deficient, maybe it's a hard skill, a soft skill, whatever. But any successful SEO is going to constantly have to be improving and have to learn. It's a characteristic of our industry. It's a characteristic of just growing in an organization. So it's like, that's one kind of soft skill that I find really hard to make compromises on because you can't teach someone that ambition or that eagerness or that willingness to learn. But if you have someone that has that, then everything else can be that much like less resistant on. Absolutely. I I would definitely add as a strong second to that is just general communication. We rely so much on external, well, internal, external teams on other teams to to get things done for us. That if you have someone, again, go back to my comment, it doesn't matter how much that person knows about SEO, they could understand how every single element ties into Google's algorithm. If they're not able to communicate that precisely in the right, in the right manner, you are not going to be successful a hundred percent. And we've gone through that, but I agree with you. I would say number one, it definitely is an aptitude to learn because if you're not willing to learn, SEO changes all the time. And if you have a little bit of arrogance around that, I don't see how you're ever going to be able to grow. Uh, I feel like a lot of these topics we're talking about really sh- shouldn't even be seen just from an SEO lens, right? I feel that's just, in some ways, that's just good, I don't know, working, <laughs> good business. Yeah, 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 general characteristics that are just people that you want to hire exactly. in general versus just SEO. But people forget about it in SEO. I don't know. People people forget about it a little bit in some ways. It's gotten lost. Maybe it's gotten lost a bit. That's maybe it. I mean, I agree with that too. It feels a little more pronounced in like other roles and in other industries. And I think within SEO, we kind of fall back into this area of like, okay, was the person just able to articulate differences of uh, SEO best practices? Are they able to articulate elements of uh, Mm -hmm. how an algorithm update functions and things like that? And it's like, they're very anecdotal and it doesn't get to the point of like, does this person have the ability once they get on the ground to be successful? All right. So Sebastian, let's kind of land this on one last topic. Let's touch on a little bit like team structure. And from kind of like your experience with this, what are some of your thoughts and like perspectives on SEO team structure? The first thing that comes to mind and is something I'm a, I'm a huge fan of is a decentralized team structure, decentralized workforce. So I want to make sure the semantics of the word decentralized are accurate. When I mean decentralized, I mean 
a team, a an SEO team, given that it's more than one person, uh, of course, around I would say around the world, something that's a team that is not just just set in one location. And I and I've had that thing even before uh, even before COVID and the whole remote work. Obviously, that's accelerated that. But ultimately, whether it's a decentralized workforce from your own team or even the agency, I think it doesn't have to be limited to just your internal team. Maybe your internal team is just based in one location, but you hire an agency somewhere else. Discussion really could be the same, but but let's use the example you have. Now, the caveat is I totally understand that individual companies have specific exceptions and that every company can hire around the world or around the US. So obviously, so that piece notwithstanding. But in general, if you think of Let's just say you're in, you're in the West Coast and you hire a team in Australia or you hire a team in the EU market, European market. Ultimately, the work the work never stops. The work never stops, but you're not asking anyone to do any extra hours. And I think that really is the key thing is you, you can be working. I mean, one example that I like is let's just say you have like a presentation, like a deadline of a presentation and you need to present that over sea levels and like in, in two days and you're just getting started. Well, you can technically get, get two days work done in just one day for you. You get started on the shell, you create the presentation, and then you hand it over to the Australia team because that's your day ends, their day gets started, albeit a day after for them, but it won't matter to you. So when you wake up, that two days worth of work got done in one business day effectively for you. That's a phenomenal advantage that I'd love to see more of and hear more about. You have companies, I believe DuckDuckGo is one of those companies that is fully remote, doesn't definitely have like a real headquarter. I believe Mozilla is uh, operates the, the same way. I believe maybe Coinbase too, I'm not sure. But I know DuckDuckGo is one of the main examples where their entire engineering team is around the world. And the way they were able to, the way they were able to work is they're just handing off one task to another. So <laughs> their work is literally never ending of like fixing bugs and everything like that which I think is, it really is fascinating. There is another advantage to that. I don't know, that one may be a little controversial, but it's like you do have different skill sets by, by different countries, by different regions, just how people grew up in schools and whatnot. But when I used to work in Germany, one thing I noticed is the SEOs were very maybe tactical. They're very data centric, right? So all of the recommendations, numbers, graphs, and just, just very, very, very data focused. But then in the US, it's a lot more around creating a specific narrative. It's it's a lot more strategic, right? And it's the same way if you look at tools. There are a lot of tools that come from US and Germany. You, you can see by the way that the information is presented. I think a lot of people don't realize so many of the tools that we use were actually created in Europe. And even in the German market, you look at how surf metrics used to look like back in the day. Again, very tactical, a lot of information. Did it look the best? Uh, maybe not. But it had a lot more information than some tools that were in the U.S. just because of the intent and how we view information. So you should be able to understand if there are any specific skill sets just due to specific, you know, specific countries, education and whatnot. And you can leverage those. Also, the last point I'll mention is U.S. is expensive. It's, it's expensive to hire in the U.S., my gosh. And if you're a big tech company, you can, you know, you can still hire for less money, but still provide a premium to people outside of the U.S. So it really becomes becomes a win-win. So it's something that I'd love to see more people take advantage of that. Going going back, just one note there. So are you saying that with the German market, there must be order? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm being recorded, so I will keep my comments to myself. 
<laughs> it's very orderly. <laughs> no, um, I mean, obviously, we've both been in the scenario of working with those teams. I don't think it's too controversial that it's like it is. I mean, it's reasonable and it's expected that different markets are going to, generally speaking, have more core strengths within a similar vein. Sure, you're always going to find exceptions and outliers to that. But I think it's like, if you're just thinking from a likelihood or probability standpoint, that is the thing. And the, the time advantage, being able to work essentially around the clock, if you have a truly decentralized workforce across the globe, has those clear advantages. But I think like the disclaimer, kind of like the cautionary piece to more those that are in like the managerial and kind of like leadership roles, it also means that the cutoff time is very blurry. And it's it's a line that's not as defined as like everyone went home, I'm kind of on my own, where you have that around the clock pinging. And I'm sure, I mean, we've talked about this, but current position right now, having Asian presence, European presence, US presence, like there's always someone that could have a question or there always could be that difficulty to kind of turn off and actually like in the day. Yeah. I, and, and that is a very fair caveat. Too often do I have meetings that start, you know, 7am that go until 7pm uh, just because you work with, with the European team. So then, okay, there has to be that ad hoc meeting. It just so happens to be that in the same day, you have to also work with APAC. That's until like your 7 p.m. That definitely happens. And I think, you know, two things here, it's going to happen. That is one drawback, 100%. I won't hide it. That is definitely one drawback. You have so many advantages, but okay, there it is. And then it's also going to be a, it'll be an interesting thing for you yourself to, make sure that you create those boundaries. This is a challenge. I won't, you know, I won't lie, but you, it's also an interesting just mental exercise to create those boundaries, to know that it's, that you've hired the right people that they may not need that constant day-to-day, like answering their Slack at 8 p.m. your time. So it's, are you never going to do that? No, you want to make sure that you also, that you provide sometimes when, yeah, you're probably going to have to be online a little bit after hours, but should that be a consistent thing? No. It really shouldn't be. So it is a mental exercise to make sure that you're going to have to be okay with some working a little bit off the clock, but then make sure that you have that you have boundaries. And, and I guess we are talking about it specifically from an from an international front. We could very well talk about it. And that's my example was really just also let's say US APAC or Europe, but you can also stay if you're in San Francisco, higher in New York, or higher in in Ohio or in New England, where you also have fantastic talent. Cost of living, cost of labor is very different. And it shouldn't impede on on the talent of people. You have, especially nowadays, you have contractors everywhere. Something else people want to talk about is South America. There is fantastic talent pool in Argentina. So then, what happens then? The decentralized workforce becomes less of a conversation of okay, work then gets done around the clock because it's definitely in the same time difference. But then it's on based on the skill sets. It's a cost, and it's also economic empowerment. People talk a lot about, you know, diversity and, and just inclusion in general, but I think it's extremely just inclusive and diverse to look beyond your specific region to hire and looking beyond your specific region. If you have a team in the US and you want to get differences in perspective and have a global team without working longer hours, well, you know, Southern Hemisphere, really Argentina, there's been a lot of tech companies that have gone there and there is very interesting workforce in a lot of Latin American countries. Same with Europe. You look at Europe and then you have the Eastern Europe countries, Lithuania, 
over there over the last few years, I know the governments have put a lot of emphasis on growing uh, technical just like technical development, like web development in schools and everything like that. So when I used to work in Germany back in a day, we we opened an office uh, in Lithuania. And what it did is it, it it was a really win-win because then these folks over there were able to work with a company in, in Western Europe where salaries are going to be a little bit higher, but it was still less of a cost for folks in Germany. So it really became a win-win. And so more thinking around that really makes hiring gives you a lot of benefit in how you build your team and 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 i think it's something just again would be great to hear more about but i totally understand there are a lot of restrictions around that it's like i don't want to come across <laughs> and i'm talking about hey it's super easy just do it it's like i get it it is very very tough but it's more of be great yeah let's talk about it more and let's make it happen because i've been working that way for a very long time and i and i just love the advantages and they outweigh the drawbacks for sure it is a give and take and you're always going to have gains and some sacrifices. And I think US and Europe and a lot of overlap, like you have what I would say is kind of like hot spots for outsourcing, obviously, a lot of lower costs, high caliber, but a lot of people will work with people in India, Pakistan, Philippines, like on the SEO front. But I'd agree too, that especially if time zone is more of a limiting factor, the South American markets can be quite interesting. And there are several emerging kind of tech hotspots. In addition to Argentina, you have Sao Paulo, Medellin, Colombia, a few other Mexico cities quite strong as well. In Uruguay, there's some, there's some unicorn startups in Uruguay, which is crazy, which a lot of people don't know, but it's crazy. Yeah, a lot of in the finance, personal banking, it is becoming a huge hotspot in actual startups that are creating just very meaningful products and just tech talent booming. Take advantage of it. Hell yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Voices of Search podcast. Uh, thanks to Sebastian Egger, global SEO lead from square.com for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Sebastian, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in the show notes or visit his company's website, square.com. Join us tomorrow as we continue the conversation with Sebastian and we discuss managing and developing the enterprise SEO team. So thanks for joining us and see you in the next episode. Okay, thanks to Tyson Stockton, our guest host. If you'd like to get in touch with Tyson, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter where his handle is Tyson underscore Stockton. Or if your team is interested in SEO consulting or organizational education, you can always head to their company's website, which is previsible.io. That's P-R-E-V-I-S-I-B-L-E dot I-O. And a special thanks to Previsible for sponsoring this podcast. If you're looking for support with all of your SEO needs, Previsible's integrated consulting model is there for you. They draw on a collective 40 years of SEO and digital marketing experience to help you unlock your organic search and growth opportunities. So join brands like Yelp, eBay, Canva, Atlassian, and Square, all who rely on SEO consultants at Previsible. For more information, go to previsible.io. That's P-R-E-V-I-S-I-B-L-E dot I-O. And a special thanks to Ahrefs for sponsoring this podcast. Monitoring your website used to require multiple expensive tools, but that's not the case anymore thanks to Ahrefs because they just launched their Ahrefs Webmaster Tools product, which monitors your SEO health, helps you keep track of your backlinks, and gives you the insight into what keywords are performing for free. 
So check out Ahrefs Webmaster Tools at ahrefs.com slash A-W-T. That's Ahrefs, A-H-R-E-F-S dot com slash A-W-T. Just one more link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to voicesofsearch.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter and you can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is Voices of Search on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or you can contact me directly. My handle is Ben J. Shap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet, and you want a daily stream of SEO and content marketing insights in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day during the work week. So hit that subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, remember the answers are always in the data.